Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to DraftKings Network. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I f***ing love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that boss next. Big jab there from Duffy and Frank Mir is hurt now. Oh, down goes Duffy. Oh, cold. Frank Mir does it again. Rock'em, sock'em, robots here. Oh, my goodness. I believe There are a couple of absolutely self-involved bull****. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. One minute before noon Eastern Standard Time. It is Thursday, November 2nd. The year is 2023. Good to have you with us. Episode 446 of the Anakin Florian Podcast, presented by DraftKings, live on the DraftKings Network, DraftKings YouTube channel, clips on the Anakin Florian Podcast YouTube channel as well. And as promised, we are joined by a man who has just had an exceedingly busy and successful 2023. This man also procreates, has children, beautiful family as well. But uh, the great Eric Nixick on Instagram and X Eric underscore XC. MMA, my man. Welcome home. Congratulations on a successful venture. What a what a whirlwind your life must be right now. It's probably feels good to be back in Vegas. Yeah, thanks, brother. No, it was it was good to get home. Good to make it home before uh, you know Halloween. See the family, see the kids, and everybody. But uh, yeah, man, it's been uh, I don't even know what town I'm in right now. What time zone I'm in? I'm so, sure. Um, yeah, but it's been good, man. Nothing, nothing but celebration. So, uh, well, if it makes you feel any better, I know you're always on top of everything. Screws tighten. So you reached out to me 24 hours prior and we're like, dude, where's the link to the show? And I was like, we're actually going Thursday instead of Wednesday. Hope you're still available. But it makes you feel any better. Every morning I back our car out of the garage for my wife. And this morning I, in my haste, did not wait for the garage door to go up all the way. So I did not go to Saudi Arabia, but I did absolutely shatter the rearview mirror on my Audi. You're doing better than I am. Um, So I guess I just want to start with your overall experience. At this point, you've been asked every question, albeit not from KenFlow. But I just was curious about your overall experience in Saudi Arabia, uh, accommodations, treatment, hospitality for you, Francis, and everybody else. Uh, World class, John. Absolutely world class. Like, 
you know, they, they flew us business class, um, you know, which is huge, obviously on the, on those long, long treks, those long flights. Um, the, the hotel itself was five star top notch. We had, we all had our own, basically our own luxury apartment kitchen included. Um, all the food was included. We had a security team. We had cars. If you wanted to go anywhere, we just texted the security team. They set it up. We jumped in the car. They took us where we wanted to go. They waited for us. So, you know, go out and get dinner, hang out with the, with the team, security team and car waiting for you. You didn't, you didn't need a security team. It wasn't like it was like dangerous by any means, but it was just nice having that, you know, somebody that can point you in the right direction or tell you where to go. Um, honestly, John, like, they're, they rolled it out, man. And I'm, I'm telling you guys, we're going to be spending a lot more time in Saudi, especially yeah. Kenny. Um, you're going to be out there a lot more. And they they roll out the red carpet. Um, the, the dinner that we had the night before the fight was the who's who of combat sports. Anywhere you looked or turned, you're like, holy shit, that's so-and-so, huh. you know? It, it was unreal, man. Like, it, it honestly, God, it was, a, it was a, a experience of a lifetime that, you know, I'm going to tell my grandkids about. That's great. And I'm so glad it couldn't happen to a better guy. So I guess I'll just start with this. It's one thing for you or me or anybody to sort of bet on the athlete Francis Ngannou to get the job done in a championship setting in MMA or boxing. It's another thing to bet on that athlete to get the big money fight, because even though the PFL was there and big fights certainly are there for the now baddest man on the planet, Francis Ngannou, right? You guys all bet on him to get the Tyson Fury fight, right? And he got that fight. He maximized the showcase. But before we get into the fight, I guess I'm just curious, like how confident were you that your athlete was going to get this particular fight? Um, it, it was one of the big three. That was that was always kind of where, we, where our head was at. Um, it was Wilder, Joshua, or, or Tyson, or, or yep. Bus. Like that really, like... There was matchup like even even um, Andy Ruiz's name came up and, and Francis and I both agreed like that's kind of a bad matchup for us you know like it didn't really make sense like he's he's a dog he's tough on the inside he's got a great name but it was like that was more of a trap fight to us like there were, there was names that came up they were like no we want to stick with one of these big three and if if we can get one of those then you know we can we can make some generate some good good money and make this a good boxing match. But um, obviously Tyson was the, uh, you know, shooting for the stars, man. And we, and we got it. Erica, I'm curious to, like, to know what training looked like in preparation for this fight. You know, when was his knee ready to go? Uh, and then was it just boxing? Like, was he doing any MMA on the side in preparation for this? Is he getting pro boxers to come in and give him sparring? Uh, and, and I guess, you know, we, we see Mike Tyson, uh, you know, played played a little bit of a part there. You never know. Is this like, a, you know, a, you know, 10 minutes of him working with Mike? Was he along for the ride for camp? Is this a couple weeks with him? So I'm just curious about all those things. I know I know you played a major role. Sure, sure. Let, let, we'll, we'll break it down. We'll start with the knee. Um, we got back. I think it was, I want to say April, maybe uh, if, if my memory serves me correct, we, we had to go in for a small procedure to get some scar tissue cleaned up. He was having some problems. Like anytime he'd bend his knee, um, he, if, like, you know, it was almost like the meniscus, how the meniscus would catch. So there were some issues there with some scar tissue. So he had a, he had a small procedure done um, a little bit of rehab with that. And then he was kind of just, you know, back to normal, if you will. And actually that, that relieved a lot of the pressure on his wow. knee. Um and that was and April, is, Eric, sorry? Yeah, I, I believe it was April, if I remember correctly, Kenny, because I'm trying to think about the timeline of when we ended up getting the fight. But um, And then, so the the way the camps kind of broke down, it was almost broke down into segments, if you will. So 
we knew we got the fight. We all met in July. So that was um, myself, Dewey, Markel, Randy, and Francis. We all sat down and we kind of went over what our overall complexion of what the game plan is going to look like, what we're going to do, what are, what are our roles, essentially. You know, I, I know Francis had talked about hiring a boxing coach, um, bringing in somebody that, you know, ultimately we, we were all supportive of what he wanted to do, but we, we wanted to try to get this moving so you could build some continuity and camaraderie with whoever this coach may be. Um, and then that's kind of like when I, I, I just felt the need to speak up. And I, I just said, dude, I, I think Dewey Cooper's the guy. You know, I, I think Dewey has the talent. I think Dewey has the coaching pedigree. He's, he's coached boxers in the past. Um, and not to mention, I just know Francis and his trust factor about uh, surrounding himself with guys that he already knows and he already trusts and the familiarity just made a lot more sense to me. And, you know, I know he kind of like, okay, well, I'll think about it sort of thing. And then as time went on, you know, Dewey became more of that head coaching role for him in the boxing. And then he brought on John Mumba, who was from France, who he's also familiar with, who also was a very good boxer. But the nice thing about bringing on John was he fit the ideologies of what we were trying to accomplish as an MMA team moving over into boxing. So you saw a lot of our fingerprints on the style of fight that he had because of, you know, we wanted to carry over what we were doing really well in MMA that might be able to trick a conventional style boxer where we can kind of be unconventional in a, in a style that maybe, you know, we can catch them off guard with some certain things. So um, that was a lot of our approach and our game plan. I think when it came to our camp, so first segment of camp was really like, okay, we're going to, we're going to work on our cardio, building our base, doing these things, brushing up on fundamentals. Second part was the sparring. Then we brought in particular sparring partners that were, I wouldn't say like light work, but they're easier work for Francis to kind of implement the game plan and get, get moving a little bit better. <clears throat> Third phase was like, okay, now we got some really tough guys. They're going to uh, kind of fit the style of Tyson Fury. And then the last phase, man, was just like almost rounding out camp with um, we had this kid named Alex from the Ukraine who really, really gave an unbelievable look. I've been trying to convince the kid to come over to MMA, <laughs> but he, he was, he was flashy, Merrill. Like he moved a lot like Tyson gave wow. us an unbelievable look. Um, and then the one thing I really loved that like Dewey really wanted to implement was like after every sparring, all we did was uh, collar ties. We just added like three rounds of clinch work, man, because we knew that 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 was going to be something that Tyson Fury was going to want to do was kind of try to ring heavy on us. And we're like, bro, this we want this. We're welcoming this dude to go in the clinch with us because we're going to bang your ass up. <laughs> and so the, as, as soon as I saw Tyson Fury, like um, I had to go back in the back and watch him wrap his hands. You know, I was the guy to go watch him wrap his hands. And I saw this dude's legs. I'm like, oh, this guy's built like Gru. Like we're gonna oh, we're gonna man. we're gonna fuck this dude up in the clinch, bro. So I come I come back in the back to to, to do it. I was like, bro, this guy, he's top heavy, man. He looks like the Miami Hurricane mascot. Like we're gonna fuck this dude up <laughs> in the clinch. You know, we knew we would, but that was a lot yeah. of the game plan, man. Like so, you know, like in, in football, when you script your first twenty plays, those those plays started to hit in the fight. So then we're like, okay, now we have avenues, and how do we want to approach? you know, the, the game plan as it goes down the line and man, it just, you know, started to unfold the way we wanted it. I love it, man. That's brilliant. Um, I'll let John uh, jump in after this. I do have more questions though, but uh, in, in leading up to this camp, you know, the, the left hook was, was pivotal. It seemed like he was looking for it before he got the knockdown. Was that something that you guys saw? Was that an adjustment that Francis Ngannou was, was making in real time? Um, 
where did that come from? Because ultimately, obviously, that was the best shot of the fight against Dyson Fury. Unbelievable. Uh, a little bit of both, but I would say more from from to Francis's credit, just his mm. his situational awareness and his vision. You know, he's an unbelievable athlete that can that can see things on the fly. Um, that is something that he did work on quite a bit. And there was something that we were trying to land off of the jab, moreover than coming over top of the cross. We actually I call it a Bader hook for Ryan Bader when when Bader dropped um, um, Fedor. So it's almost a crooked jab. And what yep. we'll look for is when a guy throws his jab is where's his rear hand is his rear hand in his pocket. So if the rear hand's in the pocket, we'll kind of slip the jab and throw almost our own crooked jab over top of it with a different type of arc to it. So, um, you know, we did throw that a lot, but it wasn't off of the cross because because Tyson threw the hook cross and Francis came over top of that. So that was more of a right. Russian style, a high elbow coming over top of the head that he throws very, very well as, uh, uh, on top of his, you know, the Bader hook. So it wasn't anything that we were like, oh, this is something we're going to find. Mm. But it was we were countering a lot with that hook. Extreme Couture's Eric Nixick back stateside after cornering Francis Ngannou in Saudi Arabia with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. Very gracious with your time. So didn't catch a ton of the corner audio. I'm curious what your mentality or thought process was after round eight going into rounds nine and ten when seemingly the fight was there for the taking. I mean, are you allowing yourself to even be excited in the moment that you might pull off the improbable? Many, many people thought you did. On the inside, man, I was I was freaking out. You know, oh, this is, we got dude, this motherfucker. We all we got were, this and motherfucker. You know, and, and on the exterior, I'm like, all right, man, like just another Saturday. You're gonna beat Tyson Fury. Um, yeah, I was uh, doing myself. We're, we're on the camp of we needed a little bit more volume. Um, you know, I, I, again, like I, I watch enough boxing to know I, I feel like Tyson Fury is edging these rounds out with activity. Um, and what these boxing judges might be looking for comparative to what our trained eye looks for in MMA, because we're landing the damage, in my opinion. The, yeah. The, 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 the more impactful shots are coming yeah. from our guy. But how are they how are they scoring that when, it, when, you know, if we're getting jabbed up, you know, 15, 20 times? If you're Sal Diamato, we're winning this fight, you know? Right. <laughs> we got old Sal in our corner, or, yeah. or judging. Um, so that was the one thing I think that Dewey and I were, were heavy on going into round eight, nine, and ten was – Hey man, you're in, you're in really good shape. I think that was where Francis was my maybe a little nervous was how his cardio would hold up and it held up great. So we're like, hey man, let's not leave anything left in our gas tank. Let's let's go. And by round ten, John, like he jumped off the stool, like we got him hyped going into yeah. 10. And he's like, I'm gonna I'm gonna go get this motherfucker. Like he was hyped and he jumped off the stool and he was bouncing and you know we pulled the chair back. I looked back at dude. I'm like, bro, he's gonna unleash hell on this guy around ten. You yeah. Know? So. Um, it was good, man. Like, I think for us as coaches, it's it's definitely a learning curve um, as far as like the judging goes and, and what we can do better. But all in all, I mean, we, we de- it's a learning experience for us. And we're going to come back from that and, and become better. Kenny, my only final question on the fight, and then you can jump back in here before we spin it forward is I guess just in terms of Tyson Fury's performance and preparation, how did that mm-hmm. compare relative to your expectations? Perhaps you can't quantify his preparation, but to my amateur eye, he seemed prepared. He seemed to welcome and take this challenge seriously and still barely had enough to beat Francis. Yeah, I think when you go into it, it's like, you know, Kenny will tell you, there's guys who will hop on the mat and spar that maybe have far less experience than anybody in the room, but they're erratic and punches come from weird angles and you're just not really too sure. And you just go to, we call them boogers. You know, you just go to like, 
all right, I'm just going to work off my jab and kind of see what this guy has. And, and you get hit with weird stuff. So I, I really felt like that was his approach in round one. And I said that to Francis going into round two was, you know, Tyson never really jabbed Francis's face. If you go back and watch, he jabbed his rear hand. And that's to occupy the powers, to keep his hand busy, you know? And, and so, okay, we'll make adjustments off of that. So in my mind, it's like, okay, Tyson doesn't really want to engage yet. He wants to see what this guy's capable of. And let's make some adjustments off of it and, and see if we can catch him in that, in that time frame. Uh, John Fury and Tyson told me right after the fight, man, it was the hardest camp they ever had because they just didn't know how to prepare. There was no tape on Francis other than what you see in the UFC. And, and that's hard to kind of equate when you're, when you're taking one and trying to apply it into a whole nother field. Uh, Eric, like how are you guys viewing this fight? Right. Obviously it was a tremendous performance uh, against Tyson Fury and, you know, obviously a lot of people thought he, he won that fight. Is this something you guys feel you can build off and go into boxing? And, and and I guess what is steering Francis at this stage of the game? You know, is he still wanting to get into MMA? Is he now kind of have this new toy uh, and huh. he's got some success here that he wants to kind of play with? I mean, what What's his mindset like right now? Yeah, that's a good question, Kenny. And, and like my one-on-one -on -one conversations with Francis have been, he, he definitely is in love with MMA um, and the growth and the nuances of what he's building off of. And, you know, to be quite honest with you, bro, we're just really scratching the surface with what we can do athletically with him within MMA. I mean, you saw what we did in serial gone fight, you know, it, it was, it was still very sloppy. There were still a lot of things that we could have done better. And, and he knows that and he thinks he can grow off of that. And then, you know, it's 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 a sport that I think he still really loves. And when he got back from the knee injury, um, we got back into training and we were training for MMA because we didn't know what we were going to do with the UFC and that contract still. And he said something to me, man. He's like he's like, dude, I, I'm, I'm so glad I have this this love for the uh, for MMA still. And because he wasn't sure either, like he came back with that knee injury. Like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. And, and he came back. Uh, pretty quickly and, and, and got right back to work. And, and it, it was, it was a great to see him still kind of have that love, but you know, now when you're talking about it from a business perspective, it's like, dude, if you're going to be making 30, $40 million to go oh, box, right. you know, it's <laughs> like, I, I understand it, if you decide to go and box two or three more times and then maybe possibly get back to MMA or, or, or yeah. nothing. I, I, I don't know. Um, but from my talks to him with him, you know, I know he still loves the sport of MMA, and I think that's ultimately what might drive him back is just, you know, the challenges that it gives him. Ultimately, Francis is going to make that decision, but where do you want to see him fight uh, next, in boxing or MMA? I, I think it would just depend on the opportunity that's at hand, you know. Um, I would like to see what PFL comes up with as far as an opponent goes and, you know, what, what they can say as far as like, okay, you know, this is a, this is a challenge for us. Um, or if it's like, you know, if, if it's Anthony Joshua, if it's a rematch with, with Fury, or if it's Wilder and MMA, like, what do they come up with? And I think once we have some of those options, which now, look, look, look at it like this, guys, we're on the A side. Like, we get to call our shots now. Oh, yeah. You know? So so let, let, let's lay all, out, out all of our options and see which serves us the best, and, and let's go from there. All right, so it's not going to be mixed martial arts. It's going to be boxing. Okay, let's cut to the chase here. So when Francis Ngannou signed with the PFL, for me, obviously, it was bittersweet, right? Because my best friend, Kenny Florian, is their lead analyst. So I'm happy that Ken Flo was going to call his next MMA fight. But I bemoan the fact I hope. that we weren't going to see him in mixed martial arts until 
May of 2024 at the absolute earliest. That is absolutely back burner stuff right now. And I'm not saying that because the UFC cuts my paycheck. Now, the appetite for me and 95% of combat sports fans is to see Francis Ngannou box Deontay Wilder. No, I mean, in a rematch with Tyson Fury. But the dream fight for me right now, 100% is Deontay Wilder and Francis Ngannou in a boxing setting. I think you have the foundation for an immediate rematch, but it seems as though maybe that is not going to happen. So uh, what is the dream opposition for you in a boxing setting? Because we all know which way this is going. Yeah, in a boxing setting, I would say, you know, Joshua or Wilder, 100%, you know. And I think I think I love you know I just love Eddie Hearn just poking the bear you know talking Joshua's going to get us out in three rounds that was our that was our number one choice when you know we thought about the a dude who we can we can starch in the first round or first or second round was, was Anthony right. Joshua you know like so yeah we're all we're all about that if they if those guys want to do it um, yeah and then you know I heard Wilder's working on his MMA so yeah <laughs> that's know, intriguing. I'm, on yeah, the MMA that's tricky, side. but he does not want that. No. <laughs> well, and I also think that. in terms of Francis's still appetitive nature for MMA, one thing that would make you love MMA is when you knock down Tyson Fury and hurt him. And the rules of that particular sport force you to back up, right? You know, yeah. so I would think that he wants to unleash and unload. <laughs> and, uh, you know, as I've said to you privately and, and of course publicly, you know, Francis Ngannou is the most devastating power puncher that I have ever seen in the UFC. Uh, just a skosh ahead of the late, great Anthony Rumble Johnson and just a really good dude right in all of our interactions. I'm just so happy for you guys. Um, I want to be respectful of your time. Kenny, if you have anything on the back end, fine. Last thing I will say, um, in terms of you and your career, obviously it has been a huge 18 to 24 months, but I think like a lot of us, at some point we say to our significant other, hey, you know, I want to try to do this and, you know, we may not make money and certainly Kenny and I can relate as far as the podcast is concerned. For me, it was Bellator season one in 2009. I don't know for you if it was maybe becoming the main man at Extreme Couture, if that was the moment that for you and your wife, she was like, oh my God, man. Um, or if it's been like signature big moments ever since, but I'm curious when was like the moment where Annie, your wife, was like, "Holy shit, man! Like you fucking got <laughs> up yourself and you did it." You know, it, it was funny because she doesn't really remember this conversation, but like, you know, I was still bartending, I was still like kind of learning and coaching and, and traveling at a, you know, just whenever I could to help out with some of the guys. And you know, she just she just checked me one day, and it was like, you know, you know, I'm just I'm just not happy with like your commitment towards. It was just I just felt like I was spread so thin and just doing things kind of half ass, you know. And 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 sometimes like you have to hear those things from people that you love, and it hurts the most, right? Like it hurts you on the front end the most, but it's what you actually really need to hear because it motivates the hell out of you. And you have one or two choices: you can curl up and die, or you can go and flourish, right? Right. And that that conversation she had with me really, man, it, like at first, you know, you, it hurts your ego. And, and, and then, but you realize that this is exactly what you needed. And then for me, I think we're all in the progressions. Um, COVID really helped me like the, 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 with COVID, I, I felt like it challenged me in a way of gratitude in a time where, you know, everybody was hurting, everybody was on the same playing field and COVID became about perspective and what, what do I have? What can I do? And how can I flourish in a time where I think people are going to let their guard down? And, um, you know, I had a key to the gym. I had access to my athletes. I had Francis Ngannou and, and you know, a handful of guys, Dan Ige, Brad Tavares. And I said, look, guys, 
We're going to keep the secret, uh, super secret training sessions. I called the dev group, team six, SEAL team six guys. We're going to go and, and, and work and we're going to go and get better in a time where I think people are going to be letting their guard down and, and, and we can, we can not only catch up, but I think we could lap some people and become better. And by doing so, it, it really helped me become a better coach. It helped me become a better father and a husband. Um, but I definitely uh, attribute to that time during COVID where I, I felt like it, it really helped me become a, you know, the, the guy that I am today. Yeah. Amazing foundation that you have set, my brother. We appreciate the time so much. Congratulations. We can't wait to see all that your future holds, of course, in the corners of Ngano and Strickland and EA and everybody else on Instagram and Twitter. I guess they call it X now. It is Eric with a C underscore X C M M A. My man, my man, rest the voice, right? Like the <laughs> voice is probably getting as tired at this point, I would say, as the hands. But we appreciate you uh, carving out a quarter of an hour for us, my brother. Uh, anytime. Kenny, what do you think about the Southpaw? I had to ask you, bro. It was awesome, dude. I, I, I again, I, it was you guys did a lot of things I did not expect. Um, I, more than anything else, I think just the the patience. I, I think that's what Fury, I don't think, was ready for is at no point were you guys really throwing yourselves out of position. It, it was really just methodical, well thought out. Um, and just congratulations, man. It's been amazing to see you work and what you've been doing with all your fighters. Amazing. Congrats, Thanks, brother. Man. Yeah. Chris Algieri was a huge help for me this camp. Like, I don't know. I don't want to throw him under the bus because I know he works for top ranker. <laughs> but, yeah. I, you know, I called him uh, a great friend of mine. I know, I know Chris for years. And, um, you know, he he was from a kickboxing background. He 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 dabbled in MMA. But and, you know, I thought he was a very accomplished boxer. So he was a great resource for me in the beginning of laying out kind of a game plan. And, hey, man, what are your thoughts on if we mm. started doing things out of Southpaw and try to hit our step overs and, and, and change our stances? Because I know a lot of, you know, conventional boxers, especially the heavyweight division, don't do that, you know. And, yes. and what do we do already really well in MMA and, and some of our growth that we've seen with Francis? I felt like we had a we had an, a, an option there that I think that was kind of something that maybe they didn't see us being able to do. Um, but man, Chris was a great resource for me in the beginning stages of that camp. Just kind of, kind of put that stuff together. It was cool. That's amazing. Well, he'll appreciate the shout to be sure. And uh, grateful for your time, my man, get back to it, the family in the gym and uh, we will see you on the road shortly. Thank you so much. All right, guys. I'll see you guys soon. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, brother. There he is. The great Eric Nixick with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. What a moment. What a time to be alive if you are one Francis Ngannou from Batik, Cameroon, where the average citizen takes in $1,300 a year. Uh, major motion picture truly doesn't even begin to describe it. I don't know why the movie hasn't been made, perhaps because they were waiting prophetically for the story to be written the way it has been written, which is just so amazing. The collar ties, right? You got to love it just in, because I played itself out, right? I mean, you think how many heavyweights yeah. are going to be able to physically annoy Fury in that type of setting where normally he would have the upper hand? Yeah, no, exactly. It, it's kind of like me wrestling a bunch of jujitsu guys and thinking like I'm the man, you know, when it comes to wrestling and then actually going against an actual wrestler and going, yeah, right. oh, yeah, yeah. I, I actually yeah. stuck. Um, and Fury, I mean, that that's how I, I think I, I saw it. Like with Fury, who was able to kind of bully guys in that clinch and move them around, <laughs> then you, you'll lock up with someone like Francis Ugano, Dude. you know, and, and you just feel like you're in a completely different world. And I truly believe that was one of the reasons why he was out of shape for people who are saying, ah, you know, he probably didn't take it seriously. I don't believe any of right, that. I, right. I really believe he put his best foot forward on that. But I think exchanging the clinch moving or trying to move around someone like Francis Ngannou and, you know, the tricks that you had before against all the yeah. boxers yeah. aren't working. 
and you're so you're stressed emotionally, you're stressed physically. Right. Amazing. Well, and if you fast forward, say, 12 or 18 months, even, I don't know how old Tyson Fury is, right? But deadlift and squat and try to get yourself in the best possible physical shape of your life. I don't know if he was in that. And I don't know if it'll be Anthony Joshua or Deontay Wilder or who it's going to be, but I'm just very excited to see Francis Ngannou in a big time boxing setting again. It's going to be wild. And it's also not fair standing next to Francis Ngannou. Like, like no matter what kind of shape you're in, you're never going to look that great just because Francis looks like he's carved out of yeah, marble. But yeah, yeah, man. It's uh, what what a what an experience, man. Unbelievable. And Eric and everything he's done, man. Uh, he he just has a very thoughtful way of approaching things. He's extremely humble. He'll he'll reach out to other people for help and advice, and you know. Uh, just a, a great leader, a great coach, yeah. a great leader, and uh, really excited for him because every exchange, every interaction I've had with him has always been a very, very positive one. So I'm very happy for him and, and his team. Brian Stan often talks about what makes great leaders and that bosses aren't necessarily leaders just because someone's a right. CEO or a fucking chairman doesn't make them actually a good leader. And Eric Nixick is certainly that. And I love sort of some of the football terminology and how analogous those two sports are for him. If you don't know, if you're perhaps one of our international listeners, oftentimes in professional football, to be sure, they will script the first 15 offensive plays. And as you heard him say, top 20 plays or first 20 plays. And a lot of those plays in the fight start to hit and you get excited in that mm-hmm. corner. Francis Ngannou 37, Tyson Fury 35. So we will uh, see how it plays out from here. But it's pretty cool to think about a guy like Eric Nixick, right? Betting on himself as an MMA coach, becoming the man at Extreme Couture. And then you have this athlete, Francis Ngannou, and he becomes the undisputed UFC heavyweight champion. And then there's the potential opportunity for some of these riches. And now you talk about potentially 35 to $40 million to box Anthony Joshua or Deontay Wilder because of what he accomplished in defeat against Tyson Fury. And, you know, maybe Eric Nixick gets 1% of that. I don't know. But his son Knox is basically the fucking <laughs> godson to Francis Ngannou. So I'm sure he's doing just fine. Yeah. Uh, unbelievable, man. Yeah. One thing I, I kind of wanted to ask him, um, and, and I, I don't mean it in a disrespectful way, and perhaps you can kind of chime in with your opinion on this. And Francis is certainly not someone who is going to rest on his laurels, right? He, he's in the position he's in because he has made a lot of or taken risks uh, over the course of his life and career. But I wonder how much there is to gain besides monetary gain, right? That, that is clear. He's going to make a heck of a lot of money boxing. But I wonder if he stopped boxing today and stayed with MMA and I wonder how much uh, like mystique is going to surround Francis Ngannou was the guy who was this MMA guy. He had one fight against the champion of the world in Tyson Fury. He was undefeated and he almost beat that guy and he went back to just smashing people in MMA of how much more intrigue and excitement would be kind of revolve around his name as opposed to if he goes into boxing. And now, again, it is out of his realm. Now people are taking him seriously. They're preparing for him. They have some tape. And maybe he goes 0-2, 0-3 potentially, mm. but has a bunch of money in his bank right. account. I, what, do, what are your thoughts on that? What do you think? Huh. It's a lot to think about. It's yeah. a lot to think about. <laughs> Certainly in terms of his bank account, it's going to be – have more numbers than he ever imagined. Right. right? But I just think selectively right now, those boxing paydays seemingly are three times. He can make 10 million to show in the PFL. I just think that money leads the dance here, unfortunately. Right. And, or well, for better, for worse, I should say, 
Because I do want to see him in an MMA setting at least once more. Like, is that greedy, right? Like, there are no guarantees at this point that we see John Jones at least once more in an MMA setting. I am hopeful. Uh, yeah. But I do hope we see Francis Ngannou at least once more. And you're certainly right in terms of the major motion picture and the mystique. Were he to now go back to MMA and start smashing fools inside of a round like he was before, it would be really intriguing. And I think it would leave people with uh, a huge appetite to see him go box again. But either way... Uh, it is Francis Ngannou's world. We're just kind of uh, living in it at this point in time. All right, so uh, before we bounce on out of here, just want to thank everybody for supporting all of the new merchandise efforts at johnanick.com. 20% off through the end of the month of November. No, I think through like November 14th, Zach Candido's 40th birthday. I think through new, November 14th, 20% off all new designs at johnanick.com. And we thank you guys, right? We're investing in the show. We're twice a week. We're very excited about what the future holds. And because I won't be able to do this when my brand new studio is up and running, I think I'm going to do it today on the way out. So I'd like to thank Media Zone Mike Jones for setting up this studio. We're not quite there yet, but as you can see, well, maybe I can just get out of the shot, right? Or just in the fucking shot. That's not going to work. But you know what, Ken? Well, we're working on a lot of different things. We have a lot of different cameras here, and we're very excited about what the future holds. You may see Khabib Nurmagomedov's face in I the background it. there. But my favorite part, of course, is that uh, I can just say, Alexa, turn the studio on. It Tired of snooty wines and their old wine culture? Confused by words like malolactic fermentation? Yeah, we are too. So with 19 Crimes, you can do the fancy schmancy tilt-sip-smell routine, or don't. 19 Crimes is the rebel of wine and culture, telling the stories of rogues and rule breakers who overcame adversities. From convicts banished to Australia, to the legendary icon Snoop Dogg himself, 19 Crimes wine is defiant by nature, bold in character, and always uncompromising. 19 Crimes, the official wine of UFC. Pick up in stores nationwide or online at 19crimes.com. Enjoy responsibly. 2024, Sonoma, California. Work. Alexa, turn on studio. <laughs> there it is. There it is. So the lights go on, the cameras go on. Wicked exciting stuff because awesome. I'm so technologically uninclined. Alexa, turn off the fucking studio. <laughs> she did it immediately yeah isn't that amazing you know you could yeah. she does it the first time <laughs> all right so we're very excited to bring all of that to you different angles and uh very excited about all that the future holds but thanks to everybody for supporting the show thanks to our producer cody merrill thanks to eric nixick for hopping on today we are right back with you this sunday in advance of ufc 295 perhaps that episode will drop on monday don't want to put any undue pressure on cody and our DraftKings staff but we are taping on sunday as we get ready for ufc 295 we will be joining by Matt the Steamroller Frivola. We did reach out to Benoit Saint-Denis, but as many of you know, that man is on a seek and destroy mission, so he respectfully declined. Got to come on after the fight uh, if he gets through Matt the Steamroller Frivola. But Cody tells me it will be out on Sunday, and we will be joined by uh, by Matt the Steamroller Frivola. So uh, with that, thank you all for uh, checking back in with us this week. Don't forget to like the show, subscribe on DraftKings because I guess that helps the show as well and helps us and uh, we will talk to you guys in a few days with that for Ken Flom, John Anik thank you for watching, for listening, until Sunday night, you'll live
every time I start a verse, I break at least three commandments. Kinda like Pluto, because I never plan it. I'm outlandish in the way that make the patches look like they own ranches. It's the art of war, your blood's the only color on the canvas. And I don't mean it like a thug sense of how you can get God. Fuck being gangsta, I'm hip hop. You got it every time you walk in the label. The A&R's like, not it. Immune to your shit, cause I circle, circle, dot, dot it. Body heat is intoxicated, we gotta beat, I don't gotta speak. Copies, he start to think psychically, make the speakers speak elitistly. Off the high horse, make an ass of the use. Your DJ must not know the alphabet for getting his cues. My favorite DJ got those in six extra L's to abuse. Esoteric John P and I'm the nuclear school. I'm Raider Ellis, nice to meet you. Short bust of my styles. Egocentric, ego tripping with frequent fly smiles. DJ wants to get in the bird, he gets in the bird. And bird takes the shot. He's you wanna sit it on us? We got commandos on us. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckley SAB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. 